0: Last time our heroes got together, Jacob had a major encounter with the Lord. Maybe it's, it's when he got his superpowers, you know. Spider-Man got bit by a radioactive spider, and Jacob had an encounter with the Lord. Which one would you rather have, right? I think I'd take the second one, right? Jacob has a major heart change. He has this fear that's encompassing him, and it's pulled away. And you'll see it in the very first verses of Genesis 33. And God shows him how and why he needs to cling to the Lord. How? We talked about this last week. We had four steps, right? Full of contrition, confession, bringing, getting a clean slate before the Lord, and correcting the wrong, right? So when we come, this is a great model for communion too, right? So we want to come full of contrition. What I've done is wrong and have an understanding that it is wrong. We need to confess to the Lord, and that allows us to clean, him to clean the slate because that's not something that we can do. But it, it, when we surrender, then he does, he promises he will clean that slate. And then we can, what, what does it take to make it right, right? So we're going to change our pattern and change what we've done. So today, we're going to talk about that pattern, okay? There's several different patterns. One, I'm taking an old pattern, Okay. So I'm looking at our past, and we can see the pattern as it evolves. It's not necessarily something that we're going to see in the future, though it can be there, okay? But it's not always there. And um, I have to say that with some clarity because of, oh, you'll, I, I might be able to explain it when we get into it. So the why, why do we do this? To glorify God in our lives. Lord, we want to give you the glory. We want to give you the praise. We want to say, hey, I sinned last week. Well, way to go there, pastor. And my God forgave me. Do you have a God like that? Right? Isn't that awesome? Think about that. You tell that to some person that believes in themselves and they're their own God. Do you have a God that forgives you? And they're going to be like, no, I don't. Because I can never forgive myself. Or, no, I don't because I never do anything wrong. It's going to be one of those two extremes, right? But it's not going to be somewhere in there. And if it's somewhere in the center, they're going to be open to the message. and be like, you know what? I don't ever forgive myself. Who is my God? Tell me more, right? What a powerful testimony. And that's giving God the glory because we're scum. Yay, scum, right? But there's praise in that, right? Um, So we need to break the pattern. Break the pattern of the sin so we don't go down that road again. And um, sometimes this pattern breaks easy. Sometimes this pattern is a lifetime uh, of busting ahead of us. It's kind of like Candace trying to bust Phineas and Ferb, and it's going to take a lifetime. There's, There's those of you that don't have grandkids, and I'm sorry because, well, Phineas and Ferb is pretty much amazing. And it's coming back for 40 more episodes, so... Uh, restore relationships, right? What can I do to make this right? What can I do to make this right is restoration of, of these relationships. And why again? Because it pleases the Lord. It gives him glory, but it also gives him pleasure, right? Um, do you know that our prayers, the prayers of the saints, are like in incense bowls in, in front of the Lord, And we see that in Revelation, and they pour out, especially those that are persecuted. That God listens to those, and it's really neat. The result of this um, encounter with the Lord is Jacob's heart is changed. And Jacob rises up with the strength that he has, which is what the youth learned about on Thursday with Gideon, right? Go with the strength that you have. So Jacob rises with the strength that he has and then he learns that he has to cling to the Lord because God has wrenched his hip out of place and now he has to cling to the Lord. So not only is he going with his strength, but he's going with the strength that God has and he's going to do and move through him in amazing ways and do mighty things. So this is where Jacob's name is changed to Israel he faces his brother with no fear. And with reconciliation on his mind, Jacob asks the question, what can I do to make this right? And he comes up with a solution. And that's what chapter 33 is all about. So we're seeing the results of this God encounter. So I'm going to say the power of God's word, because that's what we have. This is what one of the main ways that God speaks to us today, he can speak to us through the spirit and things and through uh, whispers and through angels if he wants to, but the main way he speaks to us today, I believe, is through God's word. Um, not that he's limited to that because he's God and he's infinite and he's awesome, right? But for today's, um, the power of God's word put into practice is a life-changing for those who put it into practice, Right? So it can be life-changing for others, but specifically it's going to be for those who put it into practice. And that's really neat. So you could say the power of God's word is life-changing those who put it into practice. Yes, that's true. The uh, power of God's word who put it put into practice is even more life-changing for those who put it in practice, right? Because you can know God's word, but if you don't put it into practice, that's, that's what faith is, right? You can know about God, but guess what? Even the da- demons know about God. And they shudder, right? So we want to put things into practice so it shows that we have faith in God. Amen? Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. The nice thing about Genesis chapter 33, after we get done with this big chunk of scripture, it's pretty short, right? So Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided divided the children among Leah, Rachel, his children two servant wives, and he put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. And Jacob went on ahead. Okay, so he divided them up into two camps before. Now he's divided them up from order of birth, but you could also see that he's put uh, the ones that that are most precious to him at the back. Because if the 400 men are going to come, the oldest ones and his concubine's kids are going to They'll get it first, and his most precious, which is Joseph at the time, um, would have a chance to escape. But where was uh, Israel or where was Jacob in this time? He was on the other side of the river. Well, now God's brought him on the same side of the river. Not only is he on the other side of the river, he's out in front where you never had him before in the past. Okay? He is out leading his family like he is supposed to be doing, and this is exciting for me. And it's exciting, I think, for the Lord too. So as he approached his so then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed down to the ground seven times before them. And then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Then Esau looked at the women and children and said, Who are all these people with you? These are my children. God has graciously given to me, your servant Jacob. And then the servants' wives came forward with their children and bowed before him. Next came Leah with her children and bowed before him. And finally Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what are all these flocks and herds i met as I come, Esau said. Jacob replied, they are a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. Restitution, right? What can I do to make it right? That's what he came up with. So, my brother, I have plenty, Esau said, keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, no, if I have found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the face of God. Okay, who did he just wrestle with? God. You wonder if God took Esau's face. I don't know. Maybe he looks a lot like, I don't know what, but that's my first question when I saw that. I was like, Wow, you want, I wonder if it's like seeing the face of God. And so God's trying to portray a message that you need to get right with your brother and it's going to go well with you. So please take this gift I have brought you for God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. So when we come into sin and we have a pattern of sin, We need to first confront the pattern. So what have we seen in the past from Jacob or from his mother? They want to take the lead. They want to say, here God, here I am, follow me. And that's not how it goes, is it? Um, Here God, let me help you out. Here God, um, go this way. And what does that result in? It results in um, a relational cost, and Jacob loses his relationship with his mom and his dad and his brother. His brother threatens to kill him, and he has to go to the safety of his uncle Laban, which wouldn't be his first choice. And after he gets done with the 20 years, might not be his last choice, right? He is not happy with his uncle Laban. And then he walks right into the role of victim with his uncle Laban. So before he might have been the oppressor, and now he is the victim or the oppressed. Um, And he is promised God's protection through that time. God develops in him courage. And he's able to face his oppressor and rise up out from underneath of his thumb of oppression, and God allows him to break this oppression to God be the glory. Amen? That's what we see through this story. So now he's going back to one of his old relationships with his brother that is broken, right? It is not in a good way. We are in trouble. What are we going to do? He's worried that he's going to die. He is worried that things are, are going to go very bad with him and god gets a hold of his heart god changes jacob he says now you will be called israel and when this change occurs he has a renewed mind a renewed heart and you're going to see that it's going to come out in his lifestyle okay so we're going to look at one of these oppressive cycles before we get to that solution. We're going to look at the cycle here, okay? So this is a cycle that comes up many times in um, an oppressive or oppressed relationship, okay? First, you see the tension that will build. The tension will build up, and in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, it says, The worries of life, or the lure of of wealth, are a lot of those things that will come up into your life. It's usually one of those things, and that's the parable of the four seeds, right? And it gets into, they get into the weedy area of, of life. Well, this is one of the weedy areas of life. So one partner, they may start picking a fight. They might act jealous or um, possessive. Sometimes it's, they criticize or threaten, or they're moody or unpredictable. Maybe, and sometimes, this is heightened with um, alcohol or drugs, right? So as they go through, the oppressed person, they see the signs. They see it coming. And whether they point it out or not, um, it's, it's going to go walking down this, this line. And the, they reason with them. Um, they try to act calm. They try to appease them to get their way. Sometimes that just leads right into a deeper hole because it's just dragging it out longer for the powder keg to blow even more. Or sometimes they do the opposite of that. They go silent. Um, They keep the children quiet. They make sure that their, um, their spouse is fine. They walk in fear and have high anxiety. Right Now, generally speaking, this happens. This is usually... The oppressor generally is the male, and the oppressed is the female. But that's not always the case. And the more and more today we go, it's, it's less and less, actually. Um, it used to be no-brainer. Uh, the guy's the oppressor. The woman is not. Um, that is not the case. There are so many ways to manipulate these days. Um, You've got to come into these situations eyes wide open. Um, This can affect the kids. This can affect the kids because they cause them to be moody. Um, Consequently, they manipulate their parents to get what they want. Sometimes they just get by to survive, or maybe they assume the parent role and take care of the younger ones. And then in extreme cases, uh, they go, they run away. They start abusing drugs and alcohol because they see the pattern, and it starts to pass down to the kids. So... The second part of that cycle. So it goes from tension building to the explosion, right? Sometimes this includes physical violence. Um, sometimes it's sexual violence. Increase verbal use. Threatens harms to children, pets, parents, and belongings, right? And this is trouble. The... Oppressor and they, they blame the victim for provoking the abuse. Well it's your fault. I, I wouldn't have done this unless you did that. You know, since you did this, that made me blow up. I wouldn't have hurt you unless you since and they blame the other person. Right? It's your fault. I'm like this. They don't want to take responsibility for their actions. They increase control many times over money. They restrain the partner for activities, property. Is destroyed assault abuse physically verbally sexually and emotionally can all occur they're oppressed they react first usually it's in shock like they know it's coming but they when it comes they're just I can't believe it's this bad or I can't believe you're gonna attack this way the um, shock comes a lot of times and then protect sometimes they protect themselves often they will protect the kids whether that's keeping them in the room, taking the fight outside, whatever it may be. Sometimes they fight back, and that's usually when it gets ugly. Um, Often they'll call for help. They may pray to stop. They'll definitely go into survival mode. It's fight or flight at that point in time, right? So this affects the kids. They get hurt. They learn this pattern is normal. And it continues on to the next generation. They may act out or they might become clingy and withdraw from one another. Then everything's good. Apologies are given. I'll never do that again. Promises are thrown out there. We have the third honeymoon phase, right? The abuser apologizes. They look for forgiveness. They manipulates the victim into making up and make promises. I'll get counseling. I'll stop drinking. I'll go to church. I'll change my behavior. There will be peace. There will be an even keel for a time, and then the cycle starts all over again. Right? So, how do you break this cycle? I see this cycle in Jacob's life with the relationships that he has, and it is not a good thing. It affects the children. It affects the wife or the wives in Jacob's cases, right? It affects his brother's relationship, and there's manipulation that happens in all of this, and it's a sad, sad story. And I was really debating whether to bring this up this week, because this is straight up from a uh, cycle of abuse, which they don't necessarily use anymore. That's why I warned you. Uh, they, they're starting to go to a different route on this. But you still see the cycle, especially if you look in the past, you can see the cycle. And I'm not saying to look for it in the future, because this, this, it can blow up anytime. right? So there's not necessarily a cycle that's going to happen. They could blow up whenever they want. And there's more than one marriage in this room that is fighting this cycle. That's why I brought it up. Okay? And there's no shame in that. It's just time to break the cycle. And there's hope. There's hope, right? Jacob broke the cycle. We can break the cycle too, right? So let's go to that hope. So, what do we do about it? One, we confront the cycle, we're going to change. What does Jacob do? He sees his brother coming, and he says, what can I do to make this right? What can I do to change the behavior? I owe Esau the first blessing. So one, his language treats him like he's the firstborn, which he is. He treats him like he is firstborn. He says, I'm your servant. He calls himself the servant, right? He doesn't need that title. Okay? He has the authority of God. He doesn't need the title. Okay? God is his authority. God is his protector. God is his Lord. Okay, so he doesn't need that title of, oh, look at me. I'm the man. I'm the I'm the second board. God promised this. I have all this in my corner. Doesn't need it. He already has it. Right? God promised it to him, so it's gonna be. He has the faith to know that, so he's going to walk in that. And when he walks in that then he's able to pay back what he's in a sense stolen from his brother, right? Which is the flocks and the herds. The firstborn is supposed to have a bigger blessing. He stole his brother's blessing from him. And so he comes and he gives all these back. What is all this about? It's the blessing I stole from you. Right? He's paying restitution. What can I do to make it right? I don't need that. I insist. It wasn't esau's decision at that point was it that wasn't between jacob and esau it was between jacob and the lord what can i do to make it right so confront the cycle change the pattern know where it's going to go and develop a plan it's not easy one it's recognizing the brokenness whether it's in that relationship whether relationship and what your part in that relationship is broken. You have to recognize that. This is where I keep screwing up, and this is where I keep falling prey to this pattern. How can I do to run against that and bust it? Right? Or how can I get around the wall that keeps confronting me? Or who can I ask for help to climb over this wall? Like, I've heard that before out of your mouth, pastor. Yeah, That's um, so develop a plan, develop a plan, sometimes a plan is of escape, sometimes you need to remove yourself from the situation, especially when physical violence is in there, you have to get out, develop a plan of how you can get away, okay, there's been several times, I've offered the church as, you can spend the weekend in the church, we'll set up air mattresses, you and your kids can come here, and they'll be there. So if you ever come on Sunday morning, there's a family running around, just know it is, we're there to protect them, okay? We don't have anywhere else to go for them, so we're going to board them in the church, okay? Because they got to get away. We're going to treat them, we're going to love them with respect and the care that they deserve, right? Right? Amen. Thank you. I want to make sure they could hear that online. They were like, Whew, and then three of you that were sleeping then woke up too, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> right? So, one brave plan is to get your family to church. It is not easy, right? You don't necessarily worry about your spouse, but you get yourself to church. You get your family that's willing to come to church. Because God is going to change your heart first. And when God starts working on your heart, it starts to break down the pattern, doesn't it? The pattern starts to break because hit you've given him the authority to work on your life. We're going to see that in the second point, too. I'll talk about that a little bit more. So, get to church. God, for God to change your family and you as the oppressed... Don't worry about the oppressor first, but change. How far is too far with any sin? It's better to answer that question before the problem arises. So, how far is too far to be abused? You need to know that now. Anytime I encourage in, in dating, you know, I've, how far is too far for a guy to touch you, young ladies? You should know that before he touches you. Right? He gets my. One finger, and if he touches farther than that, I give my dad permission to beat his head in. I don't know what it is. That sounds good for me. I got a 16-year-old, so uh, right. Um, I, I told the kids Hannah and Joe Geox. So Hannah was only Joe was only allowed to touch. So if where my clothes are right now, if she had her shoes off and bare feet, he could touch her feet, could touch her hands, could touch above her neck. That was all that it was able to talk. That's good because he's saving the rest for marriage because they both had messed up before that, right? And so they knew, hey, if we want to honor you and then be presented at our marriage day as something that's set apart for you, I am going to take that as a covenant to only touch you in those areas. And that was a great, great way to do that. It's a great way to honor your husband and or your wife, or your future husband, or your future wife with your dating partners, right? So, if the man is the oppressor, how can you help him? Tell the men's group. We will, one, invite him to men's group, and two, if he keeps it up, especially physically, we will pay him a visit nicely, right? Um, Commit to reading God's word. Ask yourself, does an intervention need to take place? I'm aware of the problem. Are you aware of the problem? This needs to happen. And most importantly, we need to set boundaries. Set boundaries. This pattern keeps happening until you break the pattern. How can I break the pattern? First, you need to stop drinking or uh, abusing drugs right now. That's the first in the pattern. It, and then we're going to go to church. And then we're going to get into our Bible every single day. And then we're going to uh, seek counseling, biblical counseling. And then we're going to, and if any of those patterns break, you can go back and say, hey, you're dropping the ball on this pattern. And so we need to break, get back into our steps, the boundary steps that we put. So this, it will break the wall and break the pattern. So what are we what are we looking for as oppressed? We're looking for contrition. We're looking for confession. We're looking for the clean slate and the correct the wrong, right? What does that look like? Write this down on your bulletins if you have a pen. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. I, I hit print and I found these verses. Okay? On the bulletin. It's so 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 10 through 12. It says for the kind of sorrow God wants from us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. It's like saying I'm sorry but not doing anything to break the pattern, right? Just just see what the godly sorrow produces in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such long such longing to see me, such zeal and such a readiness is, is to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. Right? Second Corinthians chapter seven, verses ten through twelve. I thought that was a perfect definition of what it means for contrition and restitution is defined right there because the power of god's word put into practice is life-changing for those who put it into practice let's see how jacob puts into practice verse 12 through 15 of genesis 33 well esau said let's get going i'll lead the way since you've acknowledged me as the eldest i'll lead the way But Jacob replied, Can you see, my lord, that some of the children are very young, and the flocks and herds have their young too? If they are driven too hard, even for one day, all the animals could die. Please, my lord, go on ahead of your servant. We will follow you slowly at a pace that is comfortable for the livestock and the children. I will meet you at Seir. All right, Esau said, but at least let me assign some of my men to guide you and protect you. Jacob responded, That's not necessary. It's enough that you have received me warmly, my Lord. Right Again, submitting to his older brother. Number two is change the pace. Esau wanted to keep the fast pace and get home. Get home quickly. We can do this. We can celebrate. This is great. And Jacob says, we're not ready for that. We just ran over these mountains. We just ran through this river valley. And now we're running again. We can't, we can't sustain this pace. We need to slow down. And then he says, we'll meet you in Seir, but that's not what he, he does. He changes his location eventually, too, to Sukkoth, right? So he tells him, I'll go with you, but is God in Seir? No, that wasn't the promised land. That was where I'm pretty sure the Philistines are, right? So uh, he's not going to go there. He's going to go where the Lord tells him to, and that's Sukkoth. So change the pace. Jacob recognizes this and changed the pace. He, set, he took lead in the relationship. He set boundaries with his brother. Right. He told Esau how and why they're going to go at the slower pace, which makes sense. And Esau insists on protecting Jacob's family. And Jacob insists that Esau and his, his 400 troops, they have enough to take care of of all the flocks and the herds that he's already given them, um, as Jacob has already given those to Esau, right? Therefore, Jacob is showing Esau respect while honoring God with his lifestyle change. Jacob shows respect to God and his brother, and Jacob's life is beginning to change. We see the change reflected in him and his actions, right? Right? So one of, these, one of the best lifestyle changes, and I'm going to give you stats on this, is reading your Bible. Reading your Bible. LifeWay Research. Now this is interesting because I found this on a, um, a reel. It came up on one of my social media apps. And then I found it's life's, LifeWay Research did this. In a study, they polled 40,000 people from ages 8 to 80 they wanted to see how people were engaging in scripture they compiled the results and they made a profound discovery that they were not even looking for when they originally planned the survey the study indicated that when people engaged in scripture once a week which could include a pastor instructing the congregation to open your bibles there was negligible effect in some key areas of their life the same result was true if people engaged in scripture for two times a week The results equaled little to no effect. Three times a week saw a small indication of life. There was a slight pulse, a faint heartbeat, something moved in the behavior of the person engaging in Scripture. The eye-opener happened when the Bible engagement reached at least four times a week. Listen to these stats. I think this was in 2018, I'm pretty sure. The feeling of loneliness drops 30%. Anger issues drop by 32%. Bitterness drops by 40%. Alcoholism drops by 57%. Sex outside the marriage drops by 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200% twice more likely to share your faith and discipling others jumps 230 percent god is in his word he has designed his word to stir the human heart and the stats show it four times a week is all that's not really that much right 15 minutes a day who sets your schedule? I do, right? I set my schedule, you set your schedule. You're like, what? You do? No, what I mean is you set your own schedule, right? It is your choice whether you want to read that Bible. It is your choice if you're going to put that discipline into reading your Bible. And your lifestyle will make it easier or harder. On how to read that Bible. Right? Galatians 5, 16 through 18. I didn't write this one down either, but this is also another one good one you could write on your bulletin. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. Then you won't be won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants and the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires these two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions but when you are directed by the spirit you are no longer out you're not under obligation to the law of moses right You're led by the Spirit, then you have something higher than the Spirit, right? And it produces the fruit of the Spirit. Where do you see that struggle in other places in the Bible? You see it in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 says, um, my, my body desires to do the things that I'm not supposed to do, but the Spirit tells me not to do them. There's a war waging within me. How can I win this war, And Paul, the super apostle, in a sense of what I would call him, even though he was not ever called the super apostle in his lifetime, right? Um, He says, what a wretched man I am. He even struggled with sin all the time, right? There's a struggle that goes on because we have a sin nature, folks. It's just the way it is. But... It also says in Romans chapter eight, verse one, it says, "Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." It goes on from there. And it's a great passage. That chapter eight is great. It's a great um, book in the chapter in the Bible. Right? What's it mean to be condemned, judged as wrong? Right? You are condemned but there's no no condemnation for me. Who's condemned? Who was put to death for me? Jesus was, right? He has written over my sin with the blood of the Lamb. I have nothing to worry about because he is doing this. That breaks my heart, folks. And because of that is why I don't want to sin. Okay? Okay. There's a, that's a big difference to say, I do good works, so now I don't have to sin. No, I my heart breaks, and I don't want to do sin anymore, so now I do good works because of what he has done for me. The power of God's word put into practice is life-changing for those who put it into practice. Let's wrap up the Genesis passage, reading 16 through 19 of chapter 33. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir that same day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled to Zakoth, which means shelters. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his li- li- livestock. That is why the place is called Zakoth, which means shelters. Um, later, having traveled all the way from Pan- Panam Ram, Jacob arrived safely at the, sh- at the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. There he set up a camp outside a town, and Jacob brought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and there he built an altar and named it El Elohim Israel. Okay? How many times do you see e- E-L in that name? Three, right? Anytime you see L in anything from the Hebrew, it is something about God, okay. So let's mention God three times in there, and I would say that's the Mighty One, God of Israel, okay. Who has made Israel is—I'm um, not 100% sure right offhand what it means. I looked it up earlier and I forgot. So finally, we need a clean break. There has to be a clean break. Here we see Esau turning back to Seir, and Jacob going to Sukkoth. Notice we have two locations. We have Seir and Sukkoth. There's two paths to take. You can take the path of the world, which is with Esau, or we can take the path of Jacob to Sukkoth, to the shelter. God's going to protect you. Which one are you going to take? How do I know that one is of the world and one is of the Lord, Is because it says that throughout the whole New Testament. It says it in in Hebrews. It says it in um, Romans. I'm pretty sure it's Romans chapter 5, but I'm not 100% sure about that. And it tells uh, that Jacob chose correctly and Esau chose the way of the world. That's wrong. And we see that here again. He sets up his shelters for his enemies animals and his family. He bought the plot of land for a hundred pieces of silver, which symbolizes that God is in this place. And then he builds an altar to the Lord named El Elohi Israel, mighty one, God of Israel. Jacob breaks off his allegiance to his family first. And he makes his allegiance to God first and then his immediate family And then his extended family. That is hard. Right? That is so hard. It is so hard. But he listens and obeys. God got a hold of his heart and said, this is the way. Walk in it. And he does. He does. And it's a beautiful thing. So what does it look like? What does that look like? It looks like sacrificial action, doesn't it? Because we know that love requires sacrificial action. Putting others before yourself. Galatians 5, 24 through 26 said, Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed their passions and desires of their sin nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And let us not become conceited or provoke one another Or be jealous of one another. Which is what got Jacob into a lot of his problems with his brother Esau. I want that blessing. I want what you have. And he took it. Even though God would have gave it to him anyway. Another good application point here is what would Jesus do, right? The good old bracelets that came out when I was in high school. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Asking that question. Move in a direction that looks like Jesus. Okay, let me say that again. Move in a direction that looks like Jesus. Sukkoth looks like Jesus. Seer looks like sin. I'm going to move in the direction that looks like Jesus. Right? Where did his father grow up? Just right outside of Shechem. Hey, I'm going to go where my father grew up, the land that was promised me. I'm going to go there. Do you really believe that the Lord is your shepherd? Show me. Show me how you're allowing him to lead you in his pastures. How's God leading in your life? You should be able, that should be part of your testimony, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. Is your strength renewed after the cycle is bu- broken? Absolutely. Is it renewed after the cycle continues? No, you're a broken person. Renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even though I walk in the darkest valley, even though I'm in the pattern, I will not be afraid, for you are close to me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemy. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is our protection. God is watching over us. Let me close with this. It's verses from Colossians chapter 3. It's 5, 7 through 9, and then 12 through 14. That's all good, but this just gets to the heart of the, what we're talking about today. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality impurity lust and evil desires do not don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world you used to be used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world but now the time now it is time to get rid of anger rage malice Beha- malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Do not lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must close yourself with tender hearted mercy. So you've taken all these old patterns off, and now you replace them with these patterns. You must close yourself with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults, so long-suffering, and forgive anyone who offends you. Does that mean they're going to forgive you? No, but you're going to forgive them. Remember, the Lord forgave you, and you must forgive others. Sounds like something Jesus said too, huh? Above all, close yourself With love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. This works on an individual basis. This works in a marriage relationship. This works in a body of believers. Right? Love brings us together in harmony. Where can I back that up with... Um. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the body of believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about God's blood of the church, which is love, right? It binds everything together. That's the same thing. So that's where I would go. The power of God's word put into practice is the life changes of those who put it into practice. What can I put into practice, pastor? Well... Clothing yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Well, that, those all sound like weak attributes for men. Actually, that is called strength under control. Okay. It's it's one thing to. I heard this illustration. It's great illustration of physical strength, and it can be applied to emotional strength and be applied to spiritual strength with just a little bit of imagination, right? When you have a newborn baby, who do you want holding your newborn baby? Someone who's gentle, right? Because if they're not gentle, they might be strong enough, but they could crush the baby, right? That's not strength under control. Or they might be gentle enough or calm enough, but they might not be strong enough to lift the baby and they drop the baby, So you want strength under control. The same thing with our spiritual self. We don't browbeat anybody to get them, well, you're going to have to do it my way or the highway. That's not strength under control. Or whatever you want to do, honey, whatever you want. That's not strength under control either. Emotional self blowing up. I can't believe you did this. Oh, my goodness. That's not strength under control. Or... Oh, you can do whatever I want, you want. That's not strength under control either. When God leads in the relationship, that's when you can be tenderhearted and gentle and you can come alongside with long-suffering and patience. And it ain't easy, folks. It ain't easy. Right? If it were easy, we wouldn't need Jesus, I guess, Right? Right? He's the one that sets the example, and man, does he ever take it? Holy cow, or holy Lord, I don't know. (laughs) Probably don't need a holy cow, do we? (laughs) Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us when we try to do it under our own strength. Forgive us when we think we got this all by ourselves. Lord, forgive us when we blow up, when we lose control, when we are not gentle, when we... Don't have that tenderheartedness. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to see around the problem, see over the problem. Lord, I pray that we stop butting our head against the, the wall of the problem and search for you. Lord, get on our knees and stop the fight. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your redemption. We ask that you would come and and wipe our our slate clean so that we can see like Jacob did when he surrendered to you and allow that to be our testimony to the Lord. I was a broken person and now the Lord is leading and my marriage is better than ever. Lord, we want that to be our testimonies for several, for everyone in here. Lord, you are the God of, of the heavens and earth and you give us the ability To walk in that way lord i pray that you would open our eyes so that we can see the next step and then the, the destination where we go heavenly father thank you for giving us a disciple making way of life in christ jesus as we go through every part of this day help us to love you and to love the people who cross our paths starting with our family don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about jesus today Draw our hearts to you and the specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people and make disciples, make more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for your, your attention.